Sandra Allen, thank you very much. Let's continue in prayer. Lord Jesus, walk with us. Talk with us. You are the good shepherd who lays down your life for your sheep. You know each and every one of us. You know our thoughts before we think it ourselves. So now we pray in our inner spirit, in the depths of our being, that you would speak to us. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and they recognize the shepherd. We are here to say, we recognize you, Jesus. You are here in our midst, so now speak. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, the current series we're in is called The Word of the Great King. It's a study in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not just about hearing the word of Jesus in our lives. It's about living under his word. Not with it, not in it, not for it, under his word. Jesus invites us to come under his word, not to control us, but to give us confidence. And the promise of our text today is confidence in any circumstance. Let's open our Bibles. Would you open one with me and turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. If you're uh, grabbing the black book in the rack in front of you, you can turn to page 796. And there you will find Matthew 14, uh, verses 22 through 33. If you're able, would you stand with me and read aloud with me? Let's read this together corporately as an act of worship. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds... He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. A pastor was at his desk when the phone rang. It was a professor. And the professor said, so how you doing? And the pastor said, well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And the professor said, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? I hear that and I kind of picture myself 
under my own desk. You know, you know in, the, in the well where your knee, knees go, there I am hiding underneath there. Uh, I'm underneath uh, phone calls. I'm underneath my email. I'm underneath all these post-its and Jesus multiplies the bread and the loaves, the fish. All I can seem to multiply are these little post-its and, and pink phone call things. I've got yellow pads all over the place. And, and, and as I sit underneath all of that, I feel this rising storm. It pushes me deeper and deeper under. And that's often what life feels like, isn't it? Under, just under. We uh, say that we're under the weather, that we're under a cloud, that we're under the gun, that we're under a spell, that we're under the influence, or that someone has pushed us under the bus. And the professor asks, what are you doing under your circumstances? It's a bit snarky, but it's kind of a helpful question if you think about it. Right? Because it seems to imply that there's a possible way to change your relationship with your circumstances. It it, it raises the question about that. Is it possible that you could be somehow in your circumstances for sure, but not under them? Is it possible that you could face your challenges and even somehow rise above them? Well, Peter seems to think so. Oh, Peter. Here he is, walking on the water to be the one exception that would prove the rule. And here's the rule. We rise above our circumstances when we walk under the word of the great king. I find myself so intrigued by this little word under. It's what I'm reflecting on this new series, under. Last week, I I told you that this word first caught my attention on the lips of a Roman soldier. They called him a centurion. And he he says to Jesus when his servant, his beloved servant is in distress, great pain, he comes to Jesus, this soldier, and he says, "Uh, I also am a man under authority. Not in authority, not with authority, not over others, but under authority. Because I'm a man under authority, I say go and they go. I say come and they come. I say do this and they do it. And I'm wondering what would it be like for me to live under authority and therefore to have that kind of authority in my life. And I know how countercultural and counterintuitive that all is. It's not what our culture is aspiring to, is it? And yet this is what Jesus offers us. This is what Jesus invites us to, to find ourselves under. So I've been raising these questions. What would this look like for me to live under the authority of Jesus? How would I engage his word differently if I sat under it, not over it? What parts of my life would be challenged or strengthened or encouraged how would the meaning and purpose of my life be redefined or shifted? So, and here we find Peter literally rising above, changing his relationship to his circumstances, walking in confidence, walking in confidence. This isn't just about walking on water. I take that to be a one-time event. But the change in relationship to our circumstances Now, that's always an opportunity that we have. So so what this text is about is not so much inviting you to step out onto someone's swimming pool or a lake, but it's about facing a deadline. It's about surviving a breakup. It's about managing anxiety and depression. 
It's about losing your apartment or crashing markets or getting sick. It's about whatever keeps you awake at night and makes you want to crawl back into bed during the day. You know what I mean? It's about your circumstances. What are you doing under your circumstances? The professor could have asked uh, Peter and the other disciples. Matthew even uses the word under as he tells this story. It's in verse 24, if you want to look there. We read, the boat battered by, or literally under, the waves. The the boat battered under the waves. Now, it doesn't mean the boat is actually sinking and water's flooding flooding over the gunnels. This, the, the scholars tell us, is a metaphorical use of the word under, indicating agency or power. So what Matthew's saying is that the boat and everybody in the boat, they're under the power of the waves. They're under the spell of the waves, right? Now, this is really natural. Let's be honest. They're facing a life-threatening situation. I mean, these circumstances are devastatingly bad. You have to put yourself in their shoes. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. The wind, Matthew tells, is against them. The sails are in tatters. They're exhausted. They've been rowing all night. And now someone seems to be seeing things, right? Phantoms and ghouls coming at us uh, from the dark through the sheets of rain. They see Jesus, but they, they don't recognize it. Jesus, they recognize their worst fears being uh, embodied in this figure coming towards them. The end is nearer, they must be thinking to themselves. But then, Peter, right? Oh, there's Peter. There's always Peter. Peter gets an idea. Listen to what he says. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Have you ever wondered why Peter says command there? I mean, isn't that odd? What does he say? Command, command me. Why not invite me? That sounds better. Or promise me, promise me that I can walk on water. But no, he says, command me. He's not asking for comfort. Peter's not asking for permission. Peter's not asking for capacity. Peter is asking for authority. He's asking for Jesus to have his authority exercised over Peter. Command me. Put yourself over me, Jesus. Peter speaks to Jesus like the centurion had spoken to Jesus earlier, two chapters ago. Appealing to his authority, only speak the word. Command me. And that's exactly what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus uses the same kind of language that the centurion had used. I say to one come, and I say to another go, and they come and they go. Jesus, in this moment, after the request for a command, says to Peter, come. That's the command, not a promise to walk on water. Come, you come to me in the midst of your circumstances. And here he comes, walking on the water. And you know, they they say Peter walked on the water that night. Peter didn't really walk on the water. He walked on the word of the great king. Right? Make no mistake about that. This is not about the density or surface tension of water. This is about the authority of Jesus over the circumstances in your life. He's still in the storm, but he's no longer under it. He swings his leg over the gunnel and puts his full weight on the authority of Jesus in response to Jesus' command. He puts himself under Jesus and pops out of the boat, out from underneath his circumstances. Same Peter, same storm, but a new relationship. 
They say, don't ask for challenges equal to your power. Ask for powers equal to your challenges. Right? And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Matthew's been at pains to give us this picture of Jesus as a coming king. That's his distinctive theme in the gospel. Jesus is the coming king. And it comes from the very beginning where we see in this genealogy that this king comes in the lineage of David. We see coming, now he's carrying his people through the waters in a kind of a new exodus. Just before this scene, he has fed his people in the wilderness with this bread from heaven. He sat on a new Sinai, this mountain, and given his disciples this great great sermon, which is a new law that he brings to fulfill the old law. Jesus is king not over, only over Israel, but he's king not only over the nations, but even over the circumstances of our lives we're learning here. This is profound. Remember, in an earlier storm at sea, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. The disciples, we read in Matthew 8, 27, were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They say, don't tell God how great your problem is. Tell your problem how great your God is. Look at the confidence in Peter. This is amazing. Same wind, same waves. He's not under anymore. He walks above because now he's under something, someone far greater. Command me, he said. We rise above our circumstances when we walk under the word of our great king. I want to give you a sense of what this looks like. So a friend of mine gave me permission to share this story. Last week, she and her mother were having a conversation. And they're in this legal battle, and the more they think of it, the more they start to get overwhelmed by fear. Mother said to my friend, what if we lose this? We could lose everything. We could even lose the house. And then suddenly there was a shift. Suddenly she said something different, surprising. She said, well, you know, we we could lose this, the mother said, but you know what? It doesn't belong to us anyway. It it belongs to Jesus. This house belongs to Jesus. It, It all belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And if we lose it, he'll provide. Do you see that? You see what happened there? My friend said it was like she reframed the whole situation. Everything's still the same, but totally different. She said a huge burden felt like it just lifted off of our chest. They put themselves under the word of the great king and rose above their circumstances. Did you see that? The house belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Command me, they're saying. This is not just about love. This is not just about the love of Jesus, and and that's so important, but it's also about the authority of Jesus. I I think today we hear a lot about love, but we do not hear a lot about authority. We're really quick to say, promise me, not so quick to say, command me, right? What we really want is, if we're to be honest with one another, is a Jesus who's under us. We want to be able to say to Jesus, do this, and he does it. Or come and he comes, and then he goes, go and he goes. And and if he doesn't do it, then we wanted to say, oh, faith isn't working, and we walk away from our faith. Why would we say, command me? What could be more perilous than to look to another and say, command me? I mean, some commands we like, of course, but we know there'll be commands that we don't like. We, We know that there is something to fear here. 
we read the commands of scripture and we say, well, I don't agree with that or I don't believe in that. But let's be honest, as long as we're the ones deciding, then we're not under Jesus, he's under us. So I know I'm meddling here, so you'll have to forgive me, but let me ask you another question. I know we love our sense of control. We're Presbyterians, praise God. But is it possible that this is why levels of anxiety and depression are spiking off the charts these days, right? Is it possible that the current circumstances we're collectively facing and maybe even individually facing are challenging our so carefully manicured sense of, false sense of, I might add, control? I mean, I love to be in control. And it's great when everything on the desk is is going great, neat and tidy, but that's not the story of my life. That's not our collective story. And I think this, I think that, I, I wonder if what puts me under my desk is not the circumstances of my life, but rather the false belief that I have to be in control of those circumstances, that I have to be in control of all the stuff on my desk, right? What I notice about myself is there's almost a one-to-one correspondence between my circumstances and my mood, right? Pandemic goes away, George is happy. Pandemic comes back, George is bummed. Stark market rises, George is happy. Stark market closes uh, down, George is bummed, right? Man, that is a slavery of a whole different kind. And this is exactly what Matthew is talking about here when he says they're battered by the waves. They were under the power of the waves. Do you see that as a power? You don't want to live there. It's not going to work. It's only going to drive more exhaustion. Keep rowing against the wind, my friend, all you like. It's only going to drive more fear. This is what I see in my friend and her mom. When they put themselves under the power of Jesus, there's this tremendous freedom that just starts to emerge. This tremendous joy that breaks out, permeates everything. It's like this is aroma, like someone broke a perfume bottle all of a sudden. It's beautiful. And, and I would add, there's also a boldness that comes from this. It's the kind of a capacity to stand up and face the challenges of the day and resist what needs to be resisted that's all of a sudden available to them. Remember what they said, the house belongs to you, Jesus. You're in charge. You're in control. The house is under you. The case, the lawsuit, it's under you. All things are under you. I am under you. I delegate the anxiety to you. Command me. So what about you? Can I ask, what are you doing under your circumstances? I mean, either you're going to be under your circumstances or you're going to be under Jesus. I don't know any other way. But what we're learning today is that we rise above our circumstances when we walk under the word of our great king. But how will we do that? How do we do that? Well, in this series, I'm suggesting it's helpful to think about authority. Authority, that word again. Remember our definition of authority. It comes from the notion of author. You hear that, author, authority. And here's the definition. Authority is the right to tell someone the story that we're in. To give Jesus authority is to allow Jesus the right to tell us what story we're in. To allow Jesus alone to tell us what story we're in. 
See, when I'm under my desk, it's because I've allowed other authors to tell me what story I'm in, right? All those little pink slips of paper or emails, post-its, all of them, they, they're all messages. And I, I can take those messages in if I, at face value if I want. They say call, pay, fix, do more, do better, do faster. Right? They all come with their demands. They all are commanding me. And I, there's a real risk that I will give the circumstances on the surface of my desk the right to tell me who I am, what matters, what to do, what is good, what is bad, what's going to happen given a certain set of circumstances. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to live, I cannot live there. I want to tell you what, this does not work for me. And we are so much in our heads uh, these days. That's why Peter, later in the New Testament, in his first letter, says this, long for the pure milk of what? God's word. Let him speak into your mind, God's word. That's why the psalmist says centuries earlier, delight in God's law, delight in it. Meditate on it by day and night. You're waking up in the middle of the night, delight in God's law, meditate on it. This is why Paul, the apostle says, do not be conformed to this world, but by the renewing of what? Your mind be transformed and take every thought captive to Christ. There in Romans 12, he says, the first 11 chapters when I've argued that, that all of life is under the authorship of this one great person who's just created good news, great news, the gospel, 11 chapters, and then he goes to chapter 12. So renew your mind. So, so don't take in the messages that are coming from the world around you or even from inside or even from the pit of hell, uh, but take your messages from the good news of Jesus. Let him be the author. Let him tell you the story. You Give him authority in your life. If we want to come out from under our circumstances, we've got to listen to the word of our king. And when I find myself in a dark place, I've learned that I have to play literary critic. I'm, a, I'm an English major, so you'll have to pardon me. Uh, to play literary critic is to hear a message and go, nah, you know, I don't know about that one, right? I do that all the time, and it's, it saves me, right? I have to deconstruct my thoughts. I have to think not so much about the situation. I have to first think about the subtext of my reaction to the situation, I ask questions of myself like this. What does my mood tell me about what I really believe? I know you can recite the Apostles' Creed from, from heart, but what do you really believe? What do my reactions tell me about the author's uh, air quotes I'm reading in my circumstances? To what implicit commands am I already giving dutiful attention and I come up with all kinds of stuff. I mean, this is a daily exercise for me. All things that come to me from my upbringing, from my culture, from my sinful nature, from my roommate from college who's sitting right here today. Uh, hi, Todd. Uh, all these things, they come to me and I have to ask myself, do I wanna receive these messages and be dutifully obedient to their authority? Or would I rather labor under the authority of Jesus and the truth of the gospel? Now it's hard work. Let's be honest, this is hard work. And it's scary work because the truth is Jesus is real and uh, he has his own opinions, unfortunately, about my life. And it may just be that he's gonna challenge some of my dearly held, deeply held uh, beliefs, my favorite beliefs. He might end up saying to me what he says to Peter and you'll pardon his bedside manner, but Jesus can be rough. Get behind me, Satan, he says because that message comes from the pit of hell. 
Because that is not the story we're living in. <laughs> and Peter goes, okay. And he's slowly getting it, just like you and me. For Peter, I, I think how we, how we do this all boils down to five words. I want to share with you today Peter's formula. It's the five most powerful words that you will ever say to Jesus. You want to know what they are? The five, I dare you to say these words to Jesus this week. Yet if you say so. Yet if you say so. Remember, this is not the first time that Peter's been in a boat with Jesus. Early on, Jesus there, Peter's been up all night, 24 hours, fishing. They've caught nothing, zero. And they're sitting there washing their nets going, I'm never going to go through this again. I'm thinking of retiring. And Jesus comes along. What's he say? Hey, Peter, go back out there and throw out your nets again. And Peter's like, no. <laughs> I mean, right? That's what you, be honest. He's like, no. <laughs> I mean, everything inside of Peter is screaming, no. Why? Well, because I'm the fisherman and you're the carpenter, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, because all of my training, all of my experience, everything my senses tell me, everything the culture around me tells me, if you can think of a, a, a boat full of fishing men as kind of a culture, everything tells me, no, 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 this makes no sense. No, no, this can't be right. But, but that's not what Peter says. That's not what Peter says. Listen to his words. Master, Lord, we have worked all night long <laughs> and we're exhausted and we've caught nothing. And there they are. Yet if you say so. I will let down the nets. Yet, if you say so, you're the author of the great story. You're the author of my story. You're going to write the story of our fishing outing today. You, yet if you say so. Five words that will change your relationship to your circumstances. You let Jesus rewrite the story. You let Jesus overwrite your circumstances with the good news of the gospel. You let him do something beyond your imagination's capacity to conceive. You allow him to open up new possibilities beyond your limitations. You allow him to bring into existence, as Romans 4 says, things that do not yet exist. <laughs> so the follower of Jesus will say, I don't want to love my enemy, <laughs> yet if you say so. The follower of Jesus will say, I don't want to forgive my brother, Yet if you say so. The follower of Jesus will say, I don't want to confess my sin. Yet if you say so. The follower of Jesus will say, I don't want to deny my sexual urges. Yet if you say so. If you say so. If you say so. If you say so. Because you have the words of life. Where else can we go? This is the one we're talking to. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter in the midst of the storm. It's this short little phrase. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That's what he says. That's what changes things for Peter. It's as though Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to wake up, Peter, wake up to the story you're in. This is not the story of a storm. This is a story of a, a savior walking on the waves. When he says, it is I, you know, don't you? He's saying, I am. In Greek, it's ego, ami. It's the divine name. He's pulling Peter all the way back through his Sunday school lessons into the desert where there Moses stands without his sandals on holy ground and there's a bush burning with fire. It's not being consumed. And out of a voice speaks. It's the voice of the creator and redeemer saying, I am. 
the divine name, his presence breaking into the circumstances of Israel's captivity, now breaks into the circumstances of Peter's captivity to free him. Wake up, Peter. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the word who was in the beginning. I am the word who will be at the end. I am the one who knows what your life is meant to be all about. I'm the one who can make sense of and redeem all the plot twists and turns. I'm the one who redeems you when you lose your way. I am the God who has entered into the chaos, not just of the storm, but of your life. I am right here and I haven't come to end the storm. I've come to walk with you through it. I am. I cause to be. No matter what happens in the middle, Jesus says, I get the last word. And that is the author's privilege, is it not? It's the author who will get the last word in the end. By the way, here's my own translation of verse 27. Courage, I am, no fear, or fear not. Courage, I am, no fear. We rise above our circumstances when we walk under the word of our great king. So now, may I be so bold as to suggest you're not really under your circumstances anymore, are you? I I can feel myself somewhere along this message crawling out from underneath the well of my desk. Can you? I don't mean everything's good or easy. I don't mean that. You still have to go into that courtroom and argue the case, and you might lose. Or you still have to have that hard conversation with someone today. It might even be your father. Or you still have to sit there with chemo running into a vein. Or you have to sit at a desk in a classroom wondering if today you might be the target. But here's what you'll know. Here's what you know. Here's the truth in that situation. Jesus gets the last word. Amen? He does indeed. And we know that when we come under the authority of this great king, we will find the courage to face any circumstance. You'll know with Daniel that God can send an angel to shut the mouths of lions. You'll know with Esther that you were born for such a time as this. You'll know with Jeremiah that God has a plan for your welfare. You'll know with Mary that nothing is impossible with God. You'll know with Paul that all things work together for good. And that even if you should find yourself like Paul, locked in a prison, under a sentence of death, under a sentence of death, in any and all circumstances, you have reason for joy. You're like Peter. You're like Peter. You're rising above. You're walking by faith. You're singing in the rain. You're dancing on the water. And you know that if for a moment you should slip and fall back under, even here, perhaps even especially here, even in your doubt, Jesus will reach out, this passage tells us, take you by the hand and pull you back up. Because then and always, Jesus gets the last word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We do thank you for this word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for your presence in this room and whatever room we're in right now, as we say the words of this prayer, you are our savior and our king. And for that, we're grateful. That's where we find our freedom. Thank you for the joy that comes when we, the captives, find ourselves released. 
God, and we, we don't know what each other is going through in this, in this room, but we trust that perhaps you brought someone here today who's in the midst of horrible circumstances, and, and they don't know what, where to turn. And they've come today here to turn to you, and you will honor that. And so with them, we collectively say, Lord, command us, command us that we might respond to whatever your will is, whatever you ask us to do. You are worthy for you gave your life that we might live. We trust you. We trust your love because it is an authoritative love in our life. And Lord, we believe that you may have brought someone today who does not yet know you, who has heard this message, sensed that you're the one drawing them and speaking this message into the depths of their soul. And they want to cry out today, raising their hand to you, Lord, save me. We pray you'll be faithful. We know you'll be faithful to that prayer. Inspiring in them just enough faith to believe that your death on the cross, your resurrection was not just for the world as a whole, but was for them in particular. And we pray you'll give them the assurance this day that you by the hand have pulled them out of the domain of darkness in the kingdom of God's beloved son. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.